change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Pod Squeebie. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, it is another jam-packed show this week as we need to get to all things free agency. But before we get there, I think I would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the start of the latest incarnation of the XFL. They kicked off their third inaugural season with four games this past weekend, two on Saturday and two on Sunday. I watched most of the first game. I can't even tell you who played. I think it was... Arlington and somebody. Um, but that was it for me. I watched, I, I, the second game took place at the same time that the NBA all-star festivities, like the dunk contest and three point contest were taking place and the elimination chamber, elimination chamber pay-per-view, the WWE ran, which had the Sami Zayn Roman Reigns match, which I was really looking forward to. So I didn't really get to anything else. And then on Sunday, I just plain forgot that it was on. So I didn't bother with anything there. What about you, Mike? Did you watch any of the XFL this past weekend? And if so, what'd you think? I saw the ending of the the first game on the Saturday afternoon, so I couldn't really judge on that one. But I did watch the complete game on Sunday afternoon. The one that was um, on TV, right? Because there were the one was there on two, on ABC. Yeah. Yeah, two were on TV in Canada, and I think two were on like you had to watch them on like the TSN app. I think is is what it was. Oh, so you could watch on the TSN app. Yeah, I think I TSN. Yeah, the TSN app had like. That, that's what I'm I'm fairly like, don't quote me on that, but maybe if you're going to watch it again this week, maybe check out for those games that aren't on terrestrial television. Mm-hmm. Uh, check, check out the TSN app. Me, I, I'm pretty sure that's what I read someone say uh, online when someone was looking for the second game because it wasn't on like TSN or Sportsnet right. or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, the but Sunday anyway, you, afternoon you, you, you game. The other games, yeah. Yeah, the Sunday afternoon game, I I also forget who was playing in that one. Not a very good game uh, offensively. You know, it was, it was pretty sloppy. Nothing really happened uh, great until the ending. Until the ending, and then one team was down by like 12 points with uh, not not a lot of time left, and they had that three point mm-hmm. extra point convert. So they were able to get a touchdown. Uh, they got up to nine points on the touchdown, and they ended up getting another touchdown on the onside kick, which wasn't an onside kick, which was a fourth and 15 play which they got so it was an exciting ending to the game because of those specific rules that they've added but it wasn't a very exciting game leading up to that i do like some of the different rules they have um i remember in the 2020 version the kickoff rules and the convert rules so i think they had the one two and three point convert rules back in 2020 as well i liked them i'm not as hot on the three point one i like the going for one from like the two yard line, going for two from the five yard line. Like I like that one. I, that's something that I could see. Cause cause let's be honest. I mean, I know that they've moved the kick, the extra point back, but it's still pretty automatic that teams get it. And, you know, running plays is a lot more interesting than watching guys line up for a kick. 
I love the fourth and 15 thing instead of going from your own 25 instead of the onside kick. I think that's brilliant. I think onside kicks, especially with the way kick rules are now, is are, they're so they're, it's almost impossible to recover an onside kick, especially yeah. in, in like the NFL. I love that fourth and 15 play. If they could bring that up here, I would be a big proponent of it. A third and 15 play from your own 30 to pick up a first down and then you keep the ball. I think it's awesome. But my whole thing with the XFL and I'm like, I'm not like the game I watched wasn't particularly interesting either. I just, I think I just need a break from football sometimes. And that time between like the Super Bowl and the start of training camps in the CFL is that break that I think I just need like, as I said, the game I watched was was fine. I'm sure it'll get better as the teams begin to gel and whatnot, and they they start because like as you with these upstart leagues that you see, like usually the first couple of weeks, and even in the CFL, we always say like the first couple oh, of yeah. weeks, yep. it's kind of sloppy play. It's not great, but once you get to like mid season, you're like, oh, everyone's kind of clicking on all cylinders. The you know the good is separated from the bad and all that sort of stuff. But it, it just it just really couldn't keep my interest. And like I said, I like those rules, but I just. I think I just need a break from watching football. And I think that the the break we get during that time between when the Super Bowl ends and when CF, the CFL begins, because we're fans, like I think I think I, I think it's fair to say I'm probably a much bigger NFL fan than you are. Um, but we're both CFL fans and you, we both like college football. We both like the NFL. We will watch. Like I'm sure you watched the Super Bowl just like I did. There's a, there's a lot of time we, we we start paying attention to like real football from basically May until the end of until February. There's only about three months in there that we kind of get away from it. And there's, there are times I'm sure it's the same with you when you get like late in the NFL and the CFL seasons where you feel a little, even maybe a little burnt out on foot. like, it's been so much football. I just feel as if another league adding to the amount of football that's on TV. I just don't know if my, my mind needs that. So like, I hope the people that watch it, enjoy it. If you Mike, if you continue to watch it, enjoy it. That's awesome. I just think that, after the Super Bowl ends, I'm kind of ready to tuck football away for a couple months and then, you know, get back to it when kind of training camps opened up in, you know, mid middle of May. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that <clears throat> the people that keep resurrecting these spring leagues don't really take that into account. I mean, I know that the states are football crazy, mm -hmm. but but I think that there's a lot of people like you in the even in the states that after the Super Bowl, it's like, OK, I'm going to take a little break from football. You know what yeah. I mean? And I, and I know that there's, there's, there's probably a lot of fans out there that aren't thinking that way as well, but I don't know, man. I just, this, they keep trying it over and over again and it just doesn't work. I know that the U and then you have the USFL as well. Like as soon as the XFL start stops, the USFL starts. So it's like basically all year round football right now. And uh, it reminds me of like the early two thousands when we had the, NFL Europe and mm -hmm. uh, I think Arena Football League was going pretty strong at that time and then and I think Arena League coming back too. That's true. Yeah, they are coming back. I've heard that as well. So, a lot of football leagues uh, going on right now, and uh, I'm sure not all of them can last. But but I'm with you. If if people enjoy it, then then uh, you know all the power to them. I'm not gonna you know rag on them for uh, you know liking a league that I'm not particularly high on. You know I, I find I find that maddening on on the internet, just like people just tearing down other people's yep. um, likes just because they like something else. Like it's just, it's just exhausting. So um, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope they do. Okay. I hope they do well. I'm not necessarily invested in it, but I'll probably watch here and there. Yeah. Like I think for me, it'll be something where I'm like kind of lazing around on a Sunday afternoon and click like 
I still have cable, so I do click channels, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's on. Maybe I'll throw it on, but there's also the chance that I'll just watch a Law and Order rerun or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and exactly. I, and there's you know NBA playoffs are coming up mm-hmm. shortly, and the NHL playoffs, March Madness is coming up. So there's there are things to watch if you're a sports fan. You know, it's not just all football. So there are options out there. Like my brother is probably the biggest sports fan, like football fan that is that I know. Like, basically, I went and stayed with him for about three weeks. The television was essentially when he was home, always on NFL network. We watched every game that we could NFL game. We were there. Like he loves football more than anyone else. The only other sports he really pays attention to are soccer and darts. I know it's a real weird <laughs> kind of combination there, but he, he likes basketball. We played basketball growing up, but I think he's kind of gotten out of, especially because he always cared for a West coast team. And now he lives in the Atlantic and it's like, he's not staying up right. till 11 o'clock at night to watch a Lakers or a Warriors game. But he's the biggest. That's when it starts. Like, yeah, that's when, when it starts. starts. Yeah, it ends yeah. at like 2 a.m. Yeah. He, he's the biggest football fan that I think that I've ever met. And not once did he say anything to me this past weekend about the XFL. You know what I mean? Like he's someone who – he used to watch NFL Europe. Like that he – would, he would wake up on Saturday mornings and watch those NFL Europe games in like 2004 because he's like, what if one of these guys – especially with playing fantasy football. He's like, what if one of these guys ends up on the team and he ends, ends up becoming a star? I knew who he was and I could get him before you guys. He, he just I don't think he cares about the XFL. And it's like I preface all this by saying like everyone like if you like it, like it. Awesome. Because there has been this sort of like CFL XFL thing in the past couple of years that you and I more so me than you, I would say guilty of kind of fomenting this sort of anti XFL stuff. But it's like at the end of the day, I don't care what you like. Watch what you watch. It doesn't make any difference to me. But I just I just can't get into it. It's just I, I don't know if it's. um a lack of name recognition, the quality of play to start the season or what it is. I honestly just think it's, I'm burnt out. I'm ready to take that break from football. We're going to talk a ton of football and you and I spend a lot of the off season talking football, Canadian football, but not having to devote those three hours or, or in this case with, with four games a week, six hours over 12 hours over two days, it's kind of nice to be able to go, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go for a walk and not have to think about like, I really want to watch this, you know, Bill's Vikings game. You know what I mean? I totally get that. And, uh, you know, people don't turn into this podcast, tune into this podcast to hear us talk about the XFL. No, they do not. Ticat talk. Let's move on. What a busy free agency for the Ticats, eh, buddy? That was... It was pretty wild. Especially that, that, what was it? I guess it opened last Tuesday and it was that Wednesday where the signings just... Everyone, it was funny because I, if, if you spend any time online, which I'm sure you did during the opening of free agency, like we had all those deals. Oh, they've agreed to terms. They've agreed to terms with like players around the league. We knew Trevor Harris was going to sign with Saskatchewan and, and Eugene Lewis was going to sign in Edmonton and all that other sort of stuff. And there was all these tie cat, like they're going after James Butler. They're going after Jameer Thurman. They're going to, and then the market opens and it's kind of crickets and not a lot of stuff was being, and then the tie cats, it was like very little that first day, I think. Maybe they announced they announced the DB from Calgary that everyone was like, who? Because he, he didn't play a lot last year, but he was someone they're very high on. And of course, this all comes on the heels of Ticat fans being so apoplectic over the team's lack of action in the lead up to the market opening. And then finally, the Tuesday happens or the Wednesday happens and things just explode. Ticat showed they obviously had a plan. They brought in 12 new players. They retained three others. They also saw about a dozen players who were on the team last year go elsewhere so they've completely remade this roster for 2023 so let's get into it now let's start about let's start with the retentions of the guys since we last recorded there were three players that the team brought back from a year ago 
uh, after we last recorded. Tim White was one of them. Ted Laurent was another. And of course, Simone Lawrence was the third. So let me ask you first, did any of these re-signings surprise you? I'm guessing after what you said last show about Ted Laurent that that one kind of took you by surprise. It did surprise me, and it surprised me last year when they brought him back. I know it surprised you as well. But uh, yeah, I just thought that with the signing of Casey Sales, I thought there wasn't really room for Tetherant, and I thought also that he was injury prone a little bit over the last, you know, couple of years. And I was incorrect in that statement. Our, our longtime listener Adam Stalker sent sent us a message on Twitter, well, it's towards me, that uh, I was incorrect in that statement that I made last week, and uh, I admit to that he is not injury prone. I think he's missed, you know, five or six games over the last four years, which isn't too bad, especially considering the position he plays very physical position so i was wrong on that um i was surprised that he was bought back but i'm not mad at it like mm-hmm. hey, you you bring back a guy he's he's 34 years old now but obviously these uh coaching staff still thinks he can get it done on a you know rotation basis i don't think he'll be the starter in the middle there with uh, dylan Wynn, but um the, you can never have enough canadian depth so i was surprised but not not uh angry about it yeah i was I wasn't surprised simply because I'm no longer going to allow myself to be surprised by the Ticats re-signing Ted Laurent. Like, I feel like it, the year, it's going to be 2025, 2026, 2038, and it's going to be the Ticats that signed Ted Laurent <laughs> to a one-year contract extension. Like, it just seems as if he wants to stay here. There's always that talk of he wants to go back to Montreal or he wants to go somewhere else. Never ends up happening. He had those years in Edmonton. And then once he came to Hamilton after trying the NFL, this has been his home. He's been here since 2014, which feels like, that doesn't feel right that he's been here that this long, but that's how long he's been with the Ticats. And this is where he wants to play. So I'm just, that's one of those things where I feel as if like there's the possibility he'll sign with someone else at some point, but until it happens, I'm just not even going to think of that being even in the, like, no, Teddy's going to, they're going to find a way to keep him and they're going to find a way to use him, And that's just the way it's going to be. What about Tim white on a scale of one to 10? Where, where were you like when the news broke, like, that he would be back for the club in 2023. Where do you rank on a scale of one to 10 in your happiness? I was probably at a 9.9. Wow. Um, just because I'm never at a 10 on happiness scale, okay. but I was close. I was close. Um, he, uh, I mean, he's the guy, right? He's going to be the guy going forward. He's going to be the number one target. He's going to be um, near the top of the league in yards and touchdowns and all that stuff. I, I have, very high expectations for Tim White because he sh- he showed what he could do last year, and I think he's just going to keep getting better. So I, I was a great re-signing because if he lost him, you know, after losing Dunbar, uh, I think it would have been you know a big blow to this team. Yeah, losing both would have hurt. I know that they and again we're going to get into all the guys that they brought in, but one of the guys they did bring in was Duke Williams, and I, I guess he could have slid into that number one spot if he had to. But having him as a two or a three, I think just Again, we'll get into that in a second, but Tim White, what did you mentioned it? I don't know if it was the last show or the show before, what Bo said on his introductory press conference after he signed that contract extension. What did he say? He wants to make the CFL fun again. What did you say that that meant? And I agree with you, throwing the ball deep. Who's better to throw the ball deep to than Tim White? He has legitimate Olympic level speed. He's a guy that can take the top off a of defense. And if Bo can have the cannon to throw the ball to him, there's going to be a lot of big plays at Tim Hortons Field and around the CFL this year. So, again, I, I we talked about the guys we thought this team had to bring back. We both agreed that Tim White was that guy. When our buddy Justin Dunk broke the news the weekend before that he was he was heading back to Tigertown, it was, it was a no-brainer. And I said on Twitter, like, sometimes 
you can still be happy about moves that were expected and should be done. Doesn't mean it's not a great move. This was a no-brainer. It was a great move, and it was the one of the best moves this team made because now you've you've given your superstar quarterback that deep threat that he wants. It, it, if if everyone stays healthy, this could be a match made in heaven. No. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I can just see it in my head now. Bo going deep to Tim White. Uh, quite a bit next season and you know the the targets that uh, we're going to talk about in second year the target that they brought in but you know they're bringing in some big bodies for for Bo. all right lastly we need to talk about mr hamilton himself simone lawrence simone got the full superstar treatment with the hype video that did you see that hype video that the team put out i thought it was tremendous with the laugh and the crown it was awesome Uh, fans obviously rejoiced right mike there's you know, this was the one thing I joked about the day of free agency. The one question the Ticat fans asking, what about Simone? Then they signed this, that batch of free agents and Orlando Steinhauer is asked like, well, what about, what about Simone? And he's like, well, he's not in this, he's not in this bucket. I think is what he said was a direct quote of signings. Two days later, he's back with the team for a 10th season. So, I mean, this is where he's meant to play. I think that this was the one player that I think fans whether they feel like he's lost a step or not, this was kind of a tipping point signing. Like I I can't think of what the reaction would have been if he had signed with another team, but he didn't, he's still here. He's going to be a tie cat. I feel like he's a tie cat for life, but what was your reaction when you saw that video? And then you saw the news that Simone was coming back for 2023. I was very happy. Um, Not just because of the play on the field that he's had over the years, but you know, he's a leader on this, on this defense. There's no doubt about it. And you know, you're going to have some some mouthy linebackers this year, I think. So <laughs> oh. I, I think there's going to be an edge to this group. And uh, Simone's going to be, he's going to be in there. And he's going to be causing havoc. And I, and I, I tr- in my heart of hearts, I believe that he still has it. Um, he can still be a top performer in this league. And you, you just, like you said, such a fan favorite that to get rid of him, especially this year, with the Grey Cup in Hamilton was just, you just couldn't do it. Yeah, and I think I said on the last show, like, he missed about half of last season with injury, but I think he's been durable enough where you call, if it happens again this upcoming season, he plays in eight or ten games and he he just he can't stay healthy, then I think you move on from him. But I think you give him that one season to see, like, was 2022 a fluke with the injury thing or is this sort of a harbinger of things to come? But I, I, I'm with you. I don't think I, even if he's lost a step, I don't think he's lost a significant enough step to not be a valuable contributor to this team. This linebacking core now is when you come, when it comes to American players is four deep with Simone and the signings they made. Plus they brought back Kyle Wilson, who filled in admirably for Simone last year when, when, when uh, Hove was out with an injury. So this team, it's, it's not as if a Simone injury would cripple the team in the linebacking core. They have a guy who we know can fill in and do so admirably. So I think this was a, like you said, they're hosting the gray cup. They're kind of going all in and especially with seeing the other players they brought in, which we're going to talk about in a quick second. You can't not have the face of the franchise back for at least one more kick at the can to try to get that elusive gray cup, to try to break the drought, do it at home. Like I've compared him to Angela Mosca in, in being this generation sort of, face of tiger cat football how fitting would it be if much like big Ange, simone ends his career hoisting the gray cup in hamilton with the tiger cats to cap off his career be be pretty amazing if he was able to do that don't you think yeah it would be absolutely perfect and you know he could ride off into the sunset and you know it wouldn't surprise me if he has some kind of role with this team after his career 
Oh, for sure. He he's going to be a, a part of this community and a part of this franchise probably until the day he died, much like Angela Mosco was. So because he already lives in Canada, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, he lives a... he, he lives in Grimsby. He yeah, lives full time. Exactly. He spends the entire yeah. offseason up here. So and that was another thing that that talked me into. Okay, I don't think he's going anywhere. This is the offseason. He chooses to move to Canada. He he didn't buy it. He bought a house. Or I don't know if he bought a house, but he he has a place in Grimsby. Like, it just felt like this was not the year that he was going to leave this mm. community. So anyway, well, that's the guys they they kept. Now we got to talk about all the guys they brought in, and there are a lot here. Twelve in total, man. They brought in. Okay, I'm going to list them off, and then we're going to talk about. We might not talk about all of them, but we're going to try to talk about as many as we can. Jameer Thurman, linebacker from the Calgary Stampeders. Casey Sales, defensive lineman from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. James Butler, running back from the BC Lions. Kwaku Botang, defensive lineman from the Ottawa Red Black. Joel Figueroa, offensive. Did I say offensive lineman or defensive lineman? I said defensive lineman. Joel Figueroa, offensive lineman from the BC Lions. Jagarry Davis comes back, defensive lineman who was with the Argos. Duke Williams from uh, where? Oh, right, he was with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Javian Elliott, who was from the Stampeders. Levi Noel, receiver from I believe he was in Ottawa and Edmonton last year. Frazier Sopic, who was with the Stamps a year ago, Chris Osikusi, and the shock of all shockers for me, Mike, linebacker, defensive back, Chris Edwards from the Toronto Argonauts. So that's all who the Ticats have brought in, new players for this year. Let's start out by asking you this one question. Which of those guys do you think will have the most impact on the team this year? I'm going to go with my boy, Joel Figueroa. Um, you know, we've been struggling with the left tackle position for a while now. You know, Riker Matthews had a really good year that one year, and then we lost him. Or was it two years? I can't remember. But, you know, the left tackle position has always been a concern for me coming into the season. Now that we have a, a veteran locked into that position, I think it's going to be huge. You know, for Bo especially, you have a guy that can protect his blind side. You know, he's going to be comfortable with him at the left tackle position. And I just think he adds to an already really good offensive line. So I think that's going to be a huge, huge uh, benefit for Bo in this offense. You just look at that offensive line and going left to right, Figueroa, Revenberg, David Beard, Coulter Wood-Manzi, Chris Van Zyl slash Kyle Saxlid. That is a tremendous offensive line. Like this is probably going to be the first year where you and I are going to do like a training camp preview in a few months where I'm going to ask you, what are your worries? And you're not going to bring up the offensive line. Yeah. Like yeah. they made Figueroa the highest paid American offensive lineman. gives a shade. I think it's 195,000 for the year. That's money well spent. As far as I'm concerned, you have a, and this is not a knock on bow, but a immobile quarterback, someone who likes to stand in the pocket and make throws. He's not, he's not a Jeremiah Mazzoli. He's not a Cody Fajardo. He doesn't like to move around in the pocket. He likes to stand back there, make his reads and make his throws. You needed a stud left tackle. And they went out and got, the best left tackle in the market market and potentially maybe the best left tackle in the league. Like it was, it was an absolutely killer signing. My impact guy is Kwaku Boateng. Now we talked about him last year. We even talked about him last episode where I said, I've, we both, and I think someone even brought it up when we when uh, on Twitter that you and I both thought that there was no chance he was leaving Ottawa. And then he signs here and I was through the moon ecstatic. I wanted him a year ago when he was coming out of Edmonton. He ends up signing in Ottawa, unfortunately, tears his Achilles, doesn't play the season. If he can get back to being that borderline, most outstanding Canadian-type player, what that allows the Ticats to do on the defensive line is incredible. They are too deep at essentially every position along the line, and three of those players, with Boateng now in the mix, Teddy coming back, and they still have Mason Bennett, being Canadian. The ratio flexibility that provides you where, okay, someone goes down in the secondary. We need to put a, a 
Tunde goes down in the secondary, we maybe need to put an American back there or what have you. Okay, well, we'll roll with Teddy at, at defensive tackle with one of the Canadian. Like, the, the versatility that allows, and I think he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder after missing last season. We know what he did in Edmonton. I'm just, I'm very, very high on what he can do on this defensive line. Just the defensive, like, we talk about the offensive line. You look at the defensive line, bringing back Jagarrett Davis, getting Casey Sales, Dylan Wynn will be back. You got Malik Carney there. Mason Bennett's still around. Cedric Wilcott, who they got in a trade from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers late last season, is still there. God damn, that's a deep group, is it not? I almost forgot about Wilcott <clears throat> yeah. as well. So, like, you have a, a potential rotation of Davis and Carney on the one end and Botang and Bennett on the other end. Yep. I mean, that's it's pretty deadly foursome right there. So, I mean, yeah, both of the lines are set up to be really, really good this year, and that's really exciting to me. All right, so let's quickly go down some of the rest of the players. Jameer Thurman, I I love this signing. He's going to replace Jovan Santos-Knox in the middle. He is a ball hawk. I think he has 14 forced turnovers in his four seasons in the league. He's 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 going to solidify the middle of that uh, linebacking core. I think, I again, I was asked, I was on uh, with Bill Kelly uh, last week, just before Freeze Open, where Thurman had agreed to turn, but hadn't officially signed. And he asked me if I thought they had improved at middle linebacker. And I said, at worst, it's a lateral move. What do you think? Do you think Thurman's an upgrade, a lateral move, or do you think they got worse at middle linebacker? Uh, I think it's an upgrade. like yep. Not like a massive upgrade per se, but I, I think it's an upgrade. Yeah, I like I said, I think at, at worst, it's, well, they'll get the same production out of him that they got out of Jovan Santos Knox. So I thought, I just think it's a really good signing. Casey Sales, another one. This is, this is an under the radar signing because I think that this is, I mean, he came in, Micah Johnson ends up going back to Saskatchewan. I'm kind of a little bit bummed that we didn't get more out of Micah when he was here. I would have liked to have seen him continue to stay as a Tiger Cat. I thought he really picked up his game as the, as the season went on last year. But Casey Sales, I think, is one of those under-the-radar guys because of all the other – he comes from Winnipeg. All the other talent in Winnipeg there, especially on the defensive line with Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson in particular, kind of gets lost in the mix there. I think as another another plug-and-play guy like alongside Dylan Wynn, they're going to wreak havoc on run games and, and kill it in the pass game as well. Yeah, that, that inside of that defensive line is going to help out on the on the ends quite a bit because they're going to wreak havoc in the middle there. James Butler, do you not think he's the perfect running back for Bo Levi Mitchell? Multifaceted weapon, can catch out of the backfield. Obviously, great he was blocker. Great, great blocker. blocker, apparently. I heard I was listening to the Three Gun podcast, and I think it was Dunk that said he was in uh, camp in Calgary and he was like the best blocker out of all the guys that were there. So uh, I think that's one of the, the main reasons why they brought him in, right? Protect Bo at all costs. You know what he reminds me of? C.J. Gable. Okay, yeah. That's he. He's uh, multifaceted weapon, a a bigger dude, runs between the tackles, has speed to break away, can catch out of the backfield, and tremendous blocker. Like if he can stay healthy, he can be what C.J. Gable could have been in this offense. Now, what do you? What's your take on uh, you know running backs are worthless and uh, you know you shouldn't spend any money on them and you know all that that jazz. I mean, I, I understand like that. That's kind of the feeling about running backs in all football leagues. Is it not like mm-hmm. you yeah. don't overpay for running backs in the NFL unless you're like upper echelon top guys. And with Hamilton not being a team that necessarily runs the ball all that much, paying top money feels like a bit of a waste. But if you can get a guy who can do it all and he's the guy that kind of fits the running back mold that your new franchise quarterback likes, you kind of got to do everything to make him happy. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it 
if he's a really good blocker, I'm all for it. Like, get a guy back there that's going to pick up those blitzes, is going to protect our quarterback. Yeah, I don't think we really have to say much about Jair Davis. We kind of talked about the defensive line a bunch, but it's just nice to have Mr. Gray Cup back here because what does that mean, Mike? Means we're going back to the cup. At least we're, it worries at least me we're gonna be there. It worries, oh, of course it it worries me though, because six in a row, like how long is this gonna last? Like, you know, is well, it is this four in a row was incredible. Five in yeah. a row was incredible. Like it, it it's just written in the stars that he's gonna finish the season playing in a great cup. I okay, let's, let's hope that's the case. Look, let's just keep it going. All right. We're gonna we're we're gonna save Duke and Chris Edwards for last because I think that that is maybe the most explosive stuff we can talk about. So let's talk about the trio of depth Canadians they signed. Levi Noel, U of T boy, finally comes to Hamilton. Super excited about that. Frazier Sopic, a depth Canadian who plays special teams, but can also play a little bit of linebacker and defensive back. And then Chris Osikusi, same sort of thing, kind of a depth player. Uh, the Hamilton's de- Canadian receiver depth is is pretty deep now. You, you get. You don't special- think they're planning on playing too, do you? I don't think two, so. Two Canadians? I don't think so. Just because if you look at their roster makeup, you're going to have four in the offensive line. You're going to have at least one on the defensive line and one in the secondary. That just leaves one one necessary for the receiver. Like you don't like they could, but they don't have to, is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the receiving core, I see you got Tim White, you got Braylon Addison, you got Duke Williams. I'm penciling in Anthony Johnson for that fourth spot right now. Obviously, depending on what happens come training camp time, that's obviously a spot that I'll be looking at. But as of right now, I'd give the nod to Johnson for being here last year and I mentioned him a number of times on the podcast last year. I thought that I saw I saw a lot in him during training camp and liked when he got into the games. And then you start your one your one Canadian, be it Turnowski, Keandre Smith. Like I don't think I don't think these guys, because their their receiving numbers aren't necessarily big. They're more special teams guys. Levi Noel, when he was in Toronto, was one of the best special teams players in the league. So I really think that these are more these are more for for the special teams unit. Getting getting Craig Butler some guys that can really make some plays on that end of the field. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, in a, in a bind. If the worst comes to worst, mm-hmm. they could always. If they have four Canadian receivers, I mean, there's plenty there to throw in two starters if necessary. So it's, it's uh, you know, we just ha- seem to have a lot of Canadian depth right now. And that's, you know, what? What do you win with in the CFL? Quarterback play and your Canadians. Canadian that's what. That's yeah. what wins you games in this league. And the Ticats have a, especially with these signings, a ton of Canadian depth. All right, let's get to the elephant in the room: Duke Williams, Chris Edwards. There's some volatility here. There's some knuckleheadery wow. here. But if these guys can keep their, especially Duke, if he can keep his head on his shoulders, <clears throat> I mean, did they, did they just pluck a 1,500-yard receiver off the garbage pile and plug him in as their number three receiver here? Like, like that's entirely possible, is it not? It is. And I know on the last episode I said, stay away from Duke. <laughs> he was one of those guys that I said, stay away. But, listen, I, I'm sure, I'm positive that Orlando Steinhauer and and staff have had conversations with Duke about his behavior last year, and they've said, we're not going to have that. We would like you on the team, but we need assurances, right, that you're not going to be a knucklehead on the sideline or on the field. And I believe that they can control him. And I think that this will be a good spot for Duke, and I think he will contribute very good. He's a good to great receiver. Um, maybe he's lost a little bit over time but he's still a really big body still you know can be productive especially if he has a quarterback um capable of throwing him the ball downfield like he can go up and get it so i think that they can keep him under control and i think it's going to be a good sign i'm i'm concerned 
obviously with some of the antics that we saw, and I don't want to see that stuff rear its head again here. But I also look at this as this is basically his last chance. Like he, he was great in Edmonton. He had some rough spots with Saskatchewan. He started off hot and then got hurt. And then obviously the, the stuff with the helmet swinging and the alleged spitting and all that. And that, that was not a good look. This is kind of like, he's exhausted his NFL opportunities. He was down there for a couple of years with Buffalo and nothing really ever panned out. If it doesn't work here and he ends up getting cut by Labor Day, we might have seen the last of him. So he's kind of got to keep his his nose clean. And I think given the leadership in this locker room with both players and with the coaching staff, I think he can do that. But if he's if he finds himself on the wrong side of the disciplinary ruler, well, then I guess you cut him loose and say, thanks for your service, but we don't need you anymore. Chris Edwards, though, is... The only reason I think that we don't like Chris Edwards is because of the nonsense that happened after the 2021 East final, because on the field, the guy is tremendous. Like, I don't think that there's anyone that can talk down on how he plays the game. He's going to fill in for Cam Kelly, who they lost. And I think it's a, it's a tremendous addition to the team, but there's just that thing where he fist fought a bunch of Ticat fans in the stands after a game. And I'm not trying to make light of it by laughing at it, but it's like, when That's I saw ridiculous. this was happening, it, I was just like, I was floored. Okay. Okay. Let's see. What do you think? I, I'm with you. Like, obviously he has shown some, uh, bad decision-making in the past. Um, you know, you can't be running into the crowd and, and trying to fight Ticat fans, no matter what the fans do. I, we, we talked about this at length when they, when it yeah. happened. Um, obviously, he had some animosity towards the Ticats and Ticat fans. It wasn't just the incident going into the crowd. I mean, I, I think he flipped off uh, all the fans and, and maybe tore a, a flag out of someone's hand or something like that, allegedly. Um, but listen, he's a good player, and he plays he's a, with an he's edge. A great, he's a great and, player. He's a great yeah, So I'm okay with it. Like, I, I'm over it. You know, it, it's fine. Um I think sometimes you have to be a little nasty on the field. And I think that this linebacking core with Simone and Edwards, it's going to be nasty and it's going to benefit us. So I'm happy with the signing as well. I'm just very curious what the reaction to him will be at first. And you and I texted about this and I said to you, and I'm going to use the line on the podcast because I like the line. The second he knocks someone's dick in the dirt, Mm -hmm. he's going to get a massive, especially if he does it on Labor Day against the Argos. He, ta- he takes down Andrew Harris in the backfield or picks off whoever the quarterback is for the Argos. The place is going to go ape. So, yeah, he might be not so beloved right now, but there's no denying the talent. It's just le- now that he's on our side, he's one of those players where I think if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you hate him. And I, I'm curious to see how Argos fans are going to react to Chris Edwards. The Argos home opener is against Hamilton in Toronto. Like that's Chris Edwards going back there. I'm curious to what kind of reception he'll get. And then, of course, him playing here in the home opener for the cat. It's just, it's a very, it's a just because of the off field stuff that we had a couple of years ago. It's just very bizarre that he would then end up coming here, and the same people who were trying to fight him are now going to be cheering him on. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy, but I guess we'll have to see how that goes. All right, let's move on to the players that the team lost in free agency. They, they saw as. You know, they signed 12 people. They lost 12 people. Some guys have decided that they would like to try their careers going elsewhere. Julian Hauser signed in Calgary. Micah Johnson signed for a third time with Saskatchewan. Jovan Santos-Knox, Lamar Durant, and Cariel Brooks. 
after he was shockingly released by the team, all signed in Ottawa. Jamal Rowland, Siante Evans signed in Montreal. And then we had some defections to the American leagues. Wes Hills went to the USFL. Kim Kelly and Colin Kelly both signed in the XFL. And then Michael Domagala went to Edmonton and Valentin Nawa, mm-hmm. who was, was their global player. He joined Micah Johnson in Saskatchewan. So you look at some of these names and where they play, and you think the team has already replaced a number of these players through free, free agency pickups, like Julian Hauser out, Jagger Davis in, Jovan Santos knocks out, Jameer Thurman in, sort of stuff like that. But is there any player on this list of, of who the team lost that you think will be difficult or maybe not a couple of players that would be difficult for the team to replace a couple of guys in the second i think jamal roll will be hard to replace um he was at uh an all-star i think he made the all-star team last year it might have been just the eastern conference but um you know he's an all-star level guy yeah he's getting up there i think he's around 32 but he was you know he was an anchor in that secondary for a long time so there's a little there's a couple holes that uh, i think that they're gonna you know have a tough time replacing but you can't have all-stars at every position, right? Thank this you. isn't going to be an all-star team. There's going to be some question marks with every CFL team. So, um, you know, they made some decisions. They went heavy on the secondary last year, brought in a lot of guys. It didn't pan out for them. Now they're going heavy on the offensive and the defensive line. So I think that's a better strategy. I think we're going to get a lot of better results with that strategy this year. So, um, I, you know, it sucks to lose some of these guys in the secondary, but I think you can find maybe some unknowns to come in and play those those cornerback spots. Well, five years ago, no one knew who Cario Brooks, Deontay Evans, or Jamal Roll were in exactly. the CFL. So you can find guys. But I want to circle back because I don't think any like it's obviously the answer is the secondary guys because they didn't really replace them with anyone. But I would like to circle back to something you said, which is you can't sign everybody. And the number of times that I saw a tweet go out either by the Ticats or by three down or even by myself about a team sign. The Ticats have signed X. There was always someone who would say, well, what now we just need to sign these three different positions, even though they've just signed a dozen players. Well, now if we, we just need to get this, this, and this, you can't sign them all. There's going to be sacrifices somewhere. Like you said, last year they went very heavy on the secondary. Didn't work out this year. They're going very heavy in the trenches, both offense, defensive line. And I'm with you. I think that's a much smarter strategy. I think, a great secondary is great, but if you don't have a defensive front that can get to the quarterback to force early throws, to force off-time throws, to force mistime throws, to force, you know, batted balls even, or a, a weird arm angle or something like that, guys can't, in the back end, can't cover forever. So I just wish that people would understand that they did make one DB signing. We didn't really talk about him because I don't know much about him, quite frankly. Uh, Javian Elliott, who they got from Calgary, who in all my reading on it, the stamps were very, very high on, but he got hurt last year and missed most of the season, but then came back late in the season and kind of helped them get back into the playoffs, become, you know, what the stamps are, 11, 12 win team every year, essentially. So that could be end up being one of those under the radar signings that we're not talking about a ton today, but that come June, July, August, September, we're like, oh man, this guy's got four interceptions and he's he's per- been performing at a all-star level. So there's always going to be Younger, when every basically every veteran you sign, you have to find someone on a rookie deal to replace somebody somewhere. So this year, the Ticats secondary is going to be a big question mark. But I think with the additions they've made elsewhere, you look at the guys they lost. Julian Hauser, like I said, Julian Hauser, they lose. Okay, Jagger Davis. Michael Johnson, they lost. Casey Sales. Jovan Santos Knox, he's out. Who's in? Jameer Thurman. Lamar Durant, 
no loss there. He was basically invisible last year, and they probably signed two receivers for barely more than he made last year. So to me, you get two guys for the price of one, that's that's a big thing. You know, Cam Kelly's gone, but they replaced him with Chris Edwards. Colin Kelly's gone. They replaced him with Joel Figueroa. Like, we don't know who the punter's going to be, I guess, and the team does have questions at their global spot. But, I mean, those are the type of things that, those are so far down the list of concerns. Yes, the secondary is a concern. Yes, the secondary is going to be a concern until we see who they have lining up in the secondary. But that's just the way it is sometimes. Like I said, you can't sign everybody. They made their decisions. I think they made the smart decisions. We'll see if the proof is in the pudding when the season begins and and who they have back there. Yeah, and I I just think I made a makeshift uh, depth chart here, and it's basically all filled in except for the two cornerback spots. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have have any – like is there anybody on the roster right now that could slide in there? Um, Top of your head? You got Elliott at the halfback spot. Uh, on the the wide side of the field. You have have Elliott replacing um, Cario Brooks, because that's where I would have him. I think Elliott's more of a a boundary half. You obviously have Toonday at safety. You have Leonard at field half. So it's the two corner spots. What if they went Toonday at field half and Stavros at safety and Richard Leonard over at field corner? Well, now you really only have the boundary corner to worry about. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a potential move. They still have Lawrence Woods. Maybe Lawrence Woods gets more time on defense. I don't think he's that great of a defensive back. I think we saw him there a couple of times last year. I don't think he was that good, I guess is the <laughs> nice word to use. But but I also think that he's used more in the special teams game and the kick return game. And I don't think you're going to use him a ton on defense, but that's a possibility there. They they don't have, they do have a couple of uh, RJ Roundtree and Tyrone Hill Jr. are two guys on the roster at DB that are American guys that they signed that are rookies. There's going to be some. There's going to be a battle for those cornerback spots, especially if they mm-hmm. don't decide to use two Canadians there. I get the draft will kind of give us an idea of what they're they maybe thinking in secondary. If they draft a couple of of defensive back Canadian defensive backs, maybe they will look to start two in the secondary. And we'll see. They're going to bring up a bunch of Americans. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be a rash of signings in March and April and into May of American guys that are on the neg list that they're going to bring into the team. Like we're going to see a bunch of that, but right now it is a question mark. And, but you have, that's okay. You have, but you, but here's the, you have at least three spots, you know, are filled. So really, like you said, there's only the corner positions that you're kind of questioning. Cause I'm looking at, I, I always have a makeshift depth chart on my computer. I'm looking at two linebackers. They're set, man. There, there, there is, there is no room there for pretty much anyone else. You look at the defensive line and you're set there. You look at the offensive line, you're set there. Quarterback, obviously they're set. Running back, they're set. Fullback, tight end. I mean, I, I have a full, like full offensive depth chart. Like they're, they're set on offense. Like they're I don't set see... on offense. Really, your yeah. only questions on offense is how many Canadian receivers are you starting and who replaces Stephen Dunbar? And like I said, my guy's Anthony Johnson on that. But they have. I'm looking one, two, three, four. They have four already rookie American receivers that they haven't brought in yet. We still they still have Poppy White on the roster who could like, right. again, everything looks great in February, mm-hmm. but I'm not I'm not too concerned with the makeup of this team. And yes, there are going to be young players in this team. There are going to be newcomers on this team that we've never heard of before. That doesn't mean they can't make an impact. And it doesn't mean like the Ticats aren't gonna go 18 and 0. They're not gonna, you know win every game a hundred to nothing and waltz to the championship. There's going to be ups and downs this season. And some of that's going to be due to the decisions they made now, but that is okay. Because like you said, you can't field an all-star team and a, and a, a future hall of famer at every position. I think what they've done is the smart decision with who they've kept, who they brought in, how they built this roster. 
I feel a lot better, honestly, I think about the roster going into this season than I did last year. Because last year there was concerns over who's going to play defensive end, who's going to, like, who who is going to step up at receiver now that Speedy's gone. You know what I mean? Like, there were some, the offensive line was a question mark last year. Like, those those important positions where, outside of quarterback, where you're like, well, you got to have this, you got to have that, that everyone always talks about. We weren't sure last year. This year, defensive line, offensive line, we're pretty damn sure we know who's going to start week one. I'd rather be in that position than be like, well, look at that secondary. It's got seven, it's seven deep. And then yeah. one of the guys yeah. ends up never playing and getting traded. Like, Yeah, an all-star level player that never like, yeah, sees it could the, field, get on the field, right? So, I, again, yeah. what good does that do you? You know what I mean? Like, I'd right. much rather have, like, because you don't really rotate secondary guys, but you sure as hell rotate defensive linemen. So to be too deep at Canadian defensive end, to be too deep at American defensive end, and to be three deep at the two defensive tackle positions – with also including guys they're going to bring up that are going to come out of nowhere. I don't know. I'm, I feel pretty, po- pretty positive about where the team's headed right now. Yeah. And I, I've heard over, over the years that, you know, bringing in American DBs, um, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, so they're not really uh, one of the harder positions to find uh, to bring in. So, you know, the two question marks at cornerback, uh, I'll take that over, you know, question marks at left tackle and question marks along defensive line and the punter and the kicker and so on. So I, I'm pretty happy with what we have going on right now. All right. So let's move on then to our game this week. We're going to play a little game of fill in the blank. Mike, how do you feel about that? We're going to talk about some of the big lead wide stories from the past couple of weeks. We're going to start with free agency. Are you ready? I'm ready to go. All right. So there were a lot of moves made during free agency. Every team now thinks they put the pieces together to get their team to the gray cup. Everyone's undefeated. Everyone's happy. Everyone's thinking, they got visions of championships dancing in their head. So excluding the Tiger Cats, we're going to start with the positive here. What team do you think came out of free agency better than they went in? I think the Edmonton Elks have. Damn it, um, that's my pick. <laughs> really? Uh, you're going to have to make a, an audible here, Josh. But I just think that with um, the quarterback that they have, I think they've made improvements, obviously with signing Geno Lewis. And I know there's some criticism out there for how much they gave him, and that's valid. Um, you know, it didn't really work out for them last year with Kenny Lawler. I think they're paying Gino a little bit more than what they did last year with Lawler. But they have a really good receiving core, and when you have a quarterback that has some question marks, you want to have guys that can go up and get the ball. And I think they brought in some really big body guys that can, you know, even if um, Corn, what the. Cornelius isn't, you know, a super accurate thrower. I think he's accurate enough that it can be in the, you know, vicinity for, for Geno Lewis to go up and go get it. Um, so I think that they've made uh, improvements even before uh, the free agency started. I thought they made improvements in the secondary and on defense that have really impressed me. So I think the Edmonton Elks have done a great job. I'm not going to call an audible. I'm going to stick with, with Edmonton because I completely agree with everything you just said. They have a young quarterback who they believe in. The more I watch, I watched some Edmonton because I was like, when I'm thinking about this, I was like, okay, who, who, who did I like? Like, I'm not a like. I know you're higher on Cornelius than I am, so I went and watched some Edmonton stuff, and I'm watching him play, and it's like he's got something. Like, whether he can, whether he can ever harness that, like that'll be the difference between whether he has a 10-year career here or he's playing, you know, for the Michigan Panthers in the USFL next year, but. There's there's something there, and I think you going out and you get him, Kyron Moore, who's a speedy guy, 
You go out and get him Stephen Dunbar, who's a big play receiver, and you go and get him the best receiver in the game in, in Geno Lewis. You add that. Do you remember Dylan Mitchell from last year who kind of had a breakout oh, yeah. in the second half of the season? Then you're going to start some Canadian, I assume, at your fifth spot. But you look at those four receivers, and Kevin Brown, the running back, is is a guy that came on at the end of the last year. I think there's a lot to like about what Edmonton did. And I'm a believer in Chris Jones. I know he's a jerk. I know people don't like him. But he can take a team that was terrible and turn them around pretty quickly. The guy knows how to coach football. He's He is still the defensive coordinator. And that defense Edmonton wasn't that bad last year. It was the offense that couldn't get it going. You've given the quarterback some weapons. It's now all on UConn. Taylor Cornelius has to do it. If he doesn't, the Elks won't be very good. But if he can even be, you know, middle of the pack, Cody Fajardo-like quarterback, I think the Elks could easily vault back into the playoff contention and, and what is shaping up to be a kind of hodgepodge West. So I really like what the Elks did. What about the opposite, though? And we can include the Ticats in this one. The team that came out of free agency worse than they went in is blank. I think I think it's the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, year after year, they lose their best players. And I know year after year, they find new ones that come in and fill the spots. And they're, they're, they're once again near the top of the West. They dropped off a little bit last year. Yes, they came, they, they came on strong at the end of the season. But this has to end eventually. They're losing their best players on a consistent basis year after year, and they don't seem to bring in anybody to to replace them that we know of, right? They, they Their thing is scouting. I think this is the year that it finally bites them on the ass, and uh, they drop down. Uh, I know that, you know, anyone who's listening to this... <laughs> I've, I've heard this like, before from you. I know, I know. And God damn it, it's going to be correct this year. But they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna regret letting letting some guys go and you know Bo was there right before and I know that he's had some down years over the last couple of years but we don't know for sure and I know that Calgary has had you know a history of creating quarterbacks in this league making quarterbacks um, bringing in guys and then making them starting quarterbacks and then they go on to to play well on other teams or on Calgary. But we don't know if Jake Mayer's the guy yet. So he could he could drop off a cliff like other quarterbacks. So I'm going to say that that Calgary comes at worst. Uh, you know, they were the worst team this year in, in free agency. I think it's the Montreal Alouettes. That was my I second think, choice. <laughs> I, I think they've they've taken a step back at quarterback. I th- and we know how everyone listens to this, you in particular. Now that's how I feel about Trevor Harris. I'm not a big Trevor Harris guy, but I think he's better than Cody Fajardo. Greg Ellingson... Good player, not Geno Lewis. And there's so much turmoil. Now, they've added some decent pieces. They added Jamal Roll and Seante Evans from Hamilton, but how will those guys gel in a secondary there? I just think that Montreal, with all that's happening with the ownership group and the uncertainty there, and you have a quarterback that I don't believe, like getting out of Saskatchewan and going to Montreal, where obviously the pressure isn't as high, maybe that'll do well for him. But I just don't think Cody Fajardo is good enough to be a starting quarterback in this league. Like I think that he he's gonna get one more kick at the can here in Montreal and it's not it's not gonna work. And they they signed Caleb Evans. Like the, their quarterback situation in Montreal is not good. Like I don't care how much their media guy spouts about how great the quarterback room is in, in Montreal. It's not good. Like you got Caleb Evans, who I was high on at one point, but we've seen pretty much what the ceiling for him is. He's a short yardage quarterback that's gonna score a ton of one yard touchdowns. But when you ask him to do a full game. It just doesn't have it. And I don't think Cody Fajardo is very good. And if you, if your quarterback situation is unsettled, 
I just think you can't really talk about the team being better after free agency. Like, I guess it's not unsettled. They know it's going to be for Jardo, but just to go from Trevor Harris to where that team was a year ago, like end of last season, winning a playoff game, getting to East final, all that stuff. It just feels like they've taken a major step back to me. So my pick for that is the Montreal Alouettes. All right. Let's look at individual players, excluding Ticat signings here. The best signing or re-signing of the past two weeks by a team was blank. Uh, I'm going to go with Gino Lewis, and it ties into my Edmonton thing. I already kind of touched on it, but I, I, like I said, with uh, with Cornhole, you know, throwing the ball, I, I just think to have a guy like Gino Lewis in that receiving core is going to be great for him. And, and one thing that we didn't mention about Edmonton when we were talking about a second ago is Trey Ford is behind Cornelius, yep. right? I mean, they could they could have some packages for him. It could be uh, quite interesting. The guy has quite a lot of speed. But but yeah, to answer your question, I think it was Geno Lewis for the for the Elks, uh, just because I think he's gonna have he's gonna have a massive impact on that passing game this year. So there were a few that I liked. I liked Julian Hauser signing in Calgary. I think that's good signing for the Owls or the like Stamps. Uh, or Orimalade and Adarius Pickett for the Argos. I think were both good signings. Geno Lewis, I think, was obviously a good move. But I'm going to go with Winnipeg signing Kenny Lawler back. I think he's going to form a nice one-two punch with Dalton Schoen. I think he will take some of the pressure off Schoen that was kind of thrust upon him a year ago. Greg Ellingson was expected to be the number one receiver there. He gets hurt. That kind of puts Schoen. And he and Schoen, Schoen in the spotlight, don't get me wrong, led the league in everything, uh, was the runaway rookie of the year, obviously. I think... Lawler's a better player than Greg Ellingson. Um, I think given all the players that the Bombers brought back, I think you now have to, with this signing, make them the unquestioned favorite to win the Grey Cup once again. So I, I really like the Kenny the Kenny Lawler move. I think I think he was, I think injuries hurt his numbers in Edmonton, but I still think he was pretty decent in Edmonton. Now, obviously, I think them getting Geno Lewis is an upgrade, but I think Lawler going to Winnipeg is an upgrade for the Bombers over what they had in number two receiver. So I really like that one. Lastly here for when it comes to kind of free agency, I don't think it takes the amazing Kreskin to see where I'm going to go with this one. The most head scratching signing or re-signing of the free agency period was blank. I'm going to see Andrew Harris with the Argonauts. Like I get, I get his history in the league and I know that he's been a great player. Uh, I just think that, you know, you're signing a guy that's probably going to be injured like most of the year again. Like I said last year, I I didn't think that he'd make it to a thousand yard rushing because he would have injury problems. That's exactly what happened. He I see the same close. thing. He no, he didn't even come close. Um, I see the same thing happen again this year. So I just don't understand when you have a guy who's the other running back that they signed. Um, AJ Ouellette. Yeah, I think he's a similar runner, Greasy but younger caveman. and and faster. So a caveman. Greasy caveman. He looks like oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Sam Lasko, greasy bastard. <laughs> yes, yes. Shout yeah. So I, I just, I, right. I just don't understand, you know, signing both of those guys back again. I just don't. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. It's not my pick, but I think that's a really good pick. And Harris has one foot out the door. He's already signed on to become the coach of the CJFL team that he played for. So yeah. it's like, is his head even in the game anymore? Like, I, I don't know. I thought that was a really weird one. But I'm going back to the well, Fajardo, Cody Fajardo signing Montreal. You brought it up last week and it kind of like light bulbed in my head. Like he's going to work with Jason Moss again. The two didn't work in Saskatchewan. What makes you think it's going to be any different in, in Montreal? Yeah. I just, it just, again, I, they didn't have a chance. Trevor Harris was leaving, so they had to do something. But I don't know, man. I think I might have been more interested in trying to pry like Chad. Like if you're going to be, I, I don't think the Owls are going to be atrocious. But I think I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. And if I'm not going to be a playoff team, go get me a young guy 
and let me try to groom him to see if he's something. I mean, right. this is a complete disaster now. They they lose Harris. They traded Vernon Adams a year ago. Like, I don't know, just relying on Cody Fajardo to be the guy that keeps this momentum going with Montreal, I just don't think it's going to be very good. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I think, I think like, you know, the Jason Moss, uh, Trevor Harris, that would have been a good matchup. I think mm-hmm. they've been together before, and it would have made yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah, it worked pretty well in Edmonton. Yeah, they made it to the yeah, East with, Final. With Jason Moss's offense, um, we saw it last year in Saskatchewan. Like people can say that Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss have a good relationship, and that's fine. Maybe they they probably do. They probably like each other a lot, but they just their 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 games don't. Jason Moss's plan doesn't mesh with how Cody Fajardo plays the game. You know, Jason Moss wants to chuck the ball deep, and Cody Fajardo's deep ball are deep balls are atrocious. So I just I just don't see it working out there. And I know I was high on them a couple weeks ago. You asked me the question. Uh, are you all in or all out on the on the Alouettes? And that was before all the, the stuff Every, with the ownership. Before everything happened. Before everything happened, you know, with I thought Gino and Trevor Harris would be back with the Alouettes with in a Jason Moss offense. I thought it could work. Now I'm uh, complete opposite. All right. The exodus of veteran CFL players to American Spring Leagues, Mike, has begun. Darnell Sankey, Wes Hills, Cam Kelly, Colin Kelly, Dakota Prucup, Herjie Mayala, Richie Sindani, and Tremaine Washington all signed in either the XFL or USFL instead of signing with a CFL team. Sankey apparently turned down money from the Riders that would have made him the second highest paid American linebacker to instead try his chances with the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. We saw a lot of concern over something like this happening when XFL 3.0 was announced. And then, a, and then a double down after the CFL opted not to partner with the Rocks incarnation of the XFL. So, Mike, players leaving the CFL for American Spring Leagues is blank. It's unfortunate. I'm not overly concerned about it. You know, some of those players did surprise me. Like, you know, some of those guys are are, are darn good players. Cam Kelly was was a great player for the Ticats. Uh, Wes Hells did a lot of good things last year in the running back position. But I'm not I'm not concerned over it. I think that there's going to be some guys that jump. But I also think that there's so many football players out there. I think I read some some status like 50,000 D1 and DU or D2 um, players come out of uh, American college football every year. And there's about 400 pro spots between the NFL and the CFL. And now obviously that adds the XFL and the USFL add to that. But I still think there's a ton of talent out there to be had. And, uh, you know, we don't know how long these, these spring leagues are going to last. Maybe they'll, they'll catch on, maybe they won't, but it might be a problem down the road. But at this point in time, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. My answer is nothing to worry about. Like you look at the li- names on this list. Okay. Cam Kelly probably could have got a decent amount of money to play Sam linebacker for someone. Darnell Sankey obviously turned down money, but from what I've been told, there was no market for his Remember what was the player? Jasper Simmons. Remember Jasper Simmons from the Ottawa Red Blacks? Yes. I think it was their inaugural season. He was their most outstanding player, most outstanding defensive player. And he got traded to, I believe it was Calgary for Mo Price. And then couldn't come to an agreement on a contract with the Stampeders because he thought, I put up all these numbers in Ottawa. I put all the up, I put all these great tackle numbers up on a team that stunk. So I should be the highest paid running or highest paid linebacker in the league. I don't. I get the same feeling with Darnell Sankey. I think Sankey priced himself out of the market. From what I understand, the Riders were the only team that went after him, and no one was going to give him his asking price. So he turned down a lot of money that he's making much less money playing in the XFL. Like, 
I, I reportedly $160,000 was what the riders offered him. He's not even with exchange and taxes and all that. It's still more than he's making playing the XFL. Now, obviously you play in the XFL, you get a chance right after the season ends to go play in the NFL, but that's neither here nor there. I just don't, I just look at this list of names. Like is the CFL worse because of like, you know, Dakota Peru cup, Herjie Mayala, Richie Sandani, Wes Hills and Colin Kelly are playing in down. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. though, like there's not, even if you look at this list and you say, okay, Cam Kelly was good. West Hills had a, had a great run at the end of last season. Darnell Sankey was, you know, a most outstanding defensive player style player. There's not a superstar in this list. I'll worry about this when, you know, Nathan Rourke can come back to the CFL and opts for the XFL instead. Right. Like that's when yeah. I'll be concerned about losing players, but losing these, you know, role players, depth players, or, you know, borderline starters, or even in Sankey's case, like a legit starting player, there's going to be guys to replace him. You know what I mean? So to me, I, I don't worry about any of these things at all. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like when, uh, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell turns down the tie cast to yes. sign with the uh, Seattle Sea Dragons or something, <clears throat> then that'll be a big deal. But, you know, seven to 10 guys that, you know, a couple of them are pretty good, but, you know, the rest of them are kind of depth guys. It j- it's just, it doesn't scare me. Um, I don't think there's like a big talent drain going on here, but. Yeah, best of luck to them, and uh, I agree with you. I think that, you know, the CFL will be just fine. All right, lastly, last thing this week, the CFL is once again taking control of the Montreal Alouettes, announcing last Tuesday, very cheekily announcing this just hours before free agency officially opened, very smart on their part, that the league will run the team on an interim basis while they look to find new owners. This is the second time that the league has taken control of the Alouettes in the last four years, last doing so in 2019 before eventually selling the team to the ownership group they just took it away from, Sid Spiegel and Gary Stern. Teams being under league control, Mike, usually not a good thing, but most seem to think that this situation is not like the last one. This won't last long. They'll find owners pretty soon. So, Mike, the CFL taking control of the Montreal Alouettes once again is blank. It's necessary right now. And it's also, like I used the word before, it's unfortunate. Uh, it, you know, you never want to see uh, teams struggling like this. And the Montreal Alouettes had a bit of a, you know, comeback at the gates last year. You know, they weren't selling out the barn, but they had uh, some pretty good crowds near the end of the season. Uh, I thought they did some good stuff, but, you know, it, it was a mess there for a while. And I know that you know, a lot of the you know media members wanted answers right away, but when there, when there's a sale going on or or a transfer, a lot of people you know they like to keep that quiet. So I think there's a lot of venom thrown towards Randy and Rosie on this. And listen, listen, I get it. And Rosie's a bit of an idiot, um, to be frank. Uh, <laughs> but but I don't think that he was uh, you know the one to point the finger at in this instance. I think that you know they were quiet because there was stu- a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So I'm just hoping that this can be a short tenure where the league owns the team. And, and it, like you said, it, it sounds that sounds like there is uh, a couple owners that are interested. So hopefully they get the right guy this time, because, uh, you know, you can't criticize uh, in my eyes uh, Ambrosi for the situation that happened in the last month or two, but you could criticize them for, uh, you know, selling the team to an, an 89 year old person. Right. Um, you're 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 taking a chance there and then you know he unfortunately he passed away and this is what happened so yeah it's 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 always it's always not good to see yeah so for my answer is this is not overly concerning because like this isn't a situation where the previous owners just gave up on the team 
like you said, Sid Spiegel was in his 80s and passed away. That's always a concern when you're dealing with someone that old, unfortunately. But had he not died, I don't think we're in this situation. But I agree with you. I think there is some questions to be had of like why you would sell to someone of that age. But to me, it's not overly concerning because it this isn't a bankruptcy thing. This is not the last owners can't pay the bills type deal. Like we've seen that in the past with the Thai cats, the Argos with the Alouettes in 2019, that was a, uh, the owners aren't footing the bill anymore. And they, you know, quote unquote, turn the keys into the league and said, it's all yours now find somebody. So I think that this is like, I, I think it's going to be, I, I, again, I have no inside information on this, but my feeling is that we'll have a new ownership group before training camp opens. I think we're going to have definitely have them before the season starts. Um, obviously it hurt the Alouettes in free agency especially there was a Danny Machoch came out and said like I was told I couldn't spend any money couldn't give signing bonuses couldn't do all this so it hurt their chances of retaining players and then just a couple hours before everything is back to normal so I mean there is obviously some some concerns there but I think overall when it comes to when we talk about like teams not being able to or when we talk about leagues taking over teams I guess it's usually because it's so unsalvageable with what they have that that the only recourse is the league takes control of the team and then hopes to find someone who's willing to fund all the losses. The Alouettes in 2019 are different than the Alouettes in 2023. In 2019, they weren't on a playoff streak. They hadn't won a playoff game in, in a half a decade. They there There is some stability within the organization, both on and off the field, that I think that I'm just not as worried about this takeover of the team by the league as I was with the last one. I think the last one, there was legitimate op- chances that this, that the Alouettes could have folded. I do believe that that could have happened. I don't necessarily see that here. I think they're going to find committed ownership. I think they're going to find local ownership. Like there were a number of people interested last time that they mm-hmm. ended up not doing business with. Now I don't know like why that is the case. Who knows? But I think some of those people will probably be interested again. And I think we'll, they'll end up finding an owner at some point. So to me, this is not an overly concerning situation as in in like in relation to how we've seen in the past when the league has had to take over mm-hmm. the team. Yeah, we can. All, I, I just hope that it is local ownership. And I know that teams can succeed without local ownership, but I think it's it's pretty. And I know the Wettenhalls ran that team for a long time. They weren't local. They had a, a tremendous amount of success. But I think that uh, you know in Quebec, it, they do have a lot of pride in having like French speaking people owning or, or coaching or whatever. Um, they like the francophones to, to have a big part in it. And I, and I get it. So I think that local ownership would be uh, a big deal to Montreal and Quebec as a whole. Yeah. And the Wet Halls did have a ton of success, but they fell ass backwards into one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time that kept that team True. in the great cup conversation for over a decade. Like, there's a little bit of luck there too, right? Like mm-hmm. Montreal likes a winner. They support the, the Habs above all. But the other teams, especially the Alouettes, they'll they'll only really go there if they're winning football games. And yeah. this team started to build some momentum. So it is kind of unfortunate that what happened with ownership happened. But again, I think because we've seen – if we could take anything positive from the Sid Spiegel and especially Gary Stern era of ownership of this team, you can see that there's, the, there's a way to get this team back into the spotlight. They were incrementally increasing attendance. The team got better on the field. And I think those two things are correlated, especially in a market such as Montreal. So if they can, I I mean, I think they're going to, I've spent a lot of time today 
dog in the Alouettes because I do think they're going to take a step back this year. But if they prove me wrong, continue on this kind of upward trajectory and they keep making the playoffs and keep, you know, win a playoff game here or there, I think things will be fine in Montreal. You mentioned local ownership. Look what happened in BC. They got a local guy there and Bob, I still think the Lions are are tough, are in a tough place, especially now that Nathan Rourke's gone. I think you saw the building blocks there for how to sustain success. So I think if you kind of follow that model, I, I think the Alouettes are going to be perfectly fine. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, this isn't, uh, you know, an early 90s, yeah. 1990s type situation where the league is like hanging on by a, you know, a hair and, and everything's doom and gloom. I think that the Montreal Alouettes will bounce back. Yeah, this is not getting lucky and having a billionaire come from the Hamilton area to be able to buy the team and absorb the right. losses. So, no, I think the Owls are going to be fine. I think the league is going to be fine. I, I think, uh, you know, free agency was fun. What? So, uh, final thing before we leave tonight, Mike, just your overall thoughts on free agency. Like, the, the legal tampering period was something that came up. Did that increase your enjoyment of free agency or decrease your enjoyment of free agency? Because I've seen both both opinions there. Yeah, that's a tough one because it it is kind of like giving away what's going to happen yeah, a week like, before. It's, it's like, like spoilers. It's like, you're, it's like you're a kid at Christmas and you sneak into your parents' room yeah, and you go snooping for presents that they bought you for Christmas. And it's like, yeah, there's the excitement there, but then it's like on Christmas Day, you're like, oh, I kind of ruined for myself. Yeah, there's no surprise anymore. So <clears throat> I, I still like it, though. I think that, um, you know, you might they, it was a good decision for them to do that because the tampering was happening anyways. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the reports get out there and we already know who's signing who, but there's still some surprises that come the day or the day after free agency hits. So I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it keeps the CFL in the news for a little bit longer. And then there's the, the you know, they've agreed to terms or they're talking to someone and then there's the official signing. So you kind of get two bites at the apple there. And then there are still some surprises because no one was reporting Chris Edwards was signing with the Ticats until no. Justin Dunk did the day before the team officially announced the signing. So, I mean, you can still get surprised in this league, I guess. And I mean, free agency is over. We're coming up on combine season in the draft. And next thing you know, Mike, it's going to be Victoria Day weekend. And we're going to be talking about training camp. So we're on the road to the 2023 season. And, and that's that's a good time for me. So that was Pod's community for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.